Hello and welcome back everyone after a long break to the Silmarillion podcast. What have I been up to? Well, mostly it was the new update. Before that I got sick. Before that I didn't lo- did not like my mic. So there was a lot of reasons and excuses not to make the Silmarillion podcast. But eventually, now that everything seems to be in order, I thought we would uh, make this one again. What have you been up to, Michi? Um, new updates. Some shifting in family stuff. But now we're back. There we go. That's it. New update. Where dragons dwell. We went to find the dragons. There was a in-game command to like oh lecture, electing the lecture command, and it shows on the side on the podcast as well for anybody who's watching. Estelle is just like moving hands, <laughs> like he's really serious. So last time. Um, we were on chapter six. Um, that was a fun chapter, but we're gonna pick up on chapter seven, which is a really important chapter because it is titled "Off the Silmarils and the Unrest of Noldor." Um, this is the main chapter because this finally we're gonna talk about the Silmarils, uh, hopefully. In that time were made those things that afterwards were most renowned of all the works of the elves, for Feanor, being come to his full might, was filled with a new thought, or it may be that some shadow of foreknowledge came to him of the doom that drew near, and he pondered how the light of the trees, the glory of the blessed realm, might be preserved imperishable. Then he began a long and secret labor, and he summoned all his lore and his power and his subtle skill, and at the end of all he made the Silmarils. There we go, finally the moment has arrived, finally the Silmarils are being made. Um, just by reading the title and not knowing anything about it, People or anyone would still be wondering, like, what exactly are the Silmarils? Like, what are they? Uh, well, they are basically gems. Um, as many of you have thought, uh, what is this book about? Its title is The Silmarillion, uh, yet so far we have not talked about the Silmarils at all. What are the Silmarils? Now, this is finally the moment the Silmarils are made, and who makes them? Well, None other than the greatest of all the elfsmiths, Fëanor. When he was born, he was born as like a spirit of fire. All that craft that he learned from his wife's father, from Aule, and his own skill finally culminates in the creation of the Silmarils. But one can ask, like, why does he make the Silmarils? Like, is there some other evil reason behind it? Or is there some any reasoning to him try making these Silmarils? Well, here we are told explicitly that um, he makes them 
to preserve the glory of the blessed realm. Uh, Valinor is where he was born under the light of the two trees and he wants to preserve that light, that glory. It is a noble act. Regardless of what happens later and we find out that all the other reasons that he made the Silmarils which were not so noble but this in its inception at the beginning as the intention was a good act to preserve the glory of Valinor and not let the light of the two trees just expire or uh, wither. You wanna grab the next one? As three great jewels they were in form, but not until the end, when Feanor shall return, who perished ere the sun was made, and sits now in the halls of awaiting, and comes no more among his kin. Not until the sun passes and the moon falls shall it be known of what substance they were made. Like the crystal of diamonds it appeared, and yet was more strong than adamant, so that no violence could mar it or break it within the kingdom of Arda. Yet that crystal was to the Silmarils, but as is the body to the children of Iluvatar, the house of its inner fire, that is within it and yet in all parts of it, and is its life. And the inner fire of the Silmarils Feanor made of the blended light of the trees of Valinor, which lives in them yet, though the trees have long withered and shine no more. Therefore, even in the darkness of the deepest treasury, the Silmarils of their own radiance shone like the stars of Varda. And yet, as were they indeed living things, they rejoiced in light and received it and gave it back in hues more marvelous than before. Wow. Here we get a description of the Silmarils. Um, we can say that it would be kind of simplistic to just call them gems of light because they weren't just gems of light, they were so much more. The light of the two trees blended was captured in them, but they made it even more beautiful. And also we can't just say that they were crystals that caught the light of the two trees because they were again much more than just crystals because crystals uh, was just an outer cover to them like like the body uh, we can say that um, like Fea lives in Roa as we discussed in the previous parts same way the crystals were the Roa the body the cover um, in which the Fea the soul of the Silmarils lived um, also, we find that we find out that these Silmarils were impossible to destroy. So, what exactly did he make them from, or how he made them? Uh, well, nobody but Feanor knows knows that, and he has told nobody how he made them. Absolutely, not even his children. Again, we get the foreshadowing, uh, making it clear that the history was uh, written much later. Um, even when the, the trees have long gone and this and that. So again, spoiler alert, does not care. It's like a history book. And it's like history that everybody knows and it's everybody's aware of, basically. That's how the this book is written. Um, another thing we notice here is um, they rejoiced in light and received it. 
and gave it back in Hughes more marvelous than before. Um, so are they like creep beings? Is are the Silmarils like active beings or something living? I don't know. But really unique kind of creations uh, that Feanor was able to make and not even the Valar know how to make it. So this, I want to underline that point again. Uh, nobody knows how he made these amazing Silmarils um, and he has told no one and not even like the gods, the Valars, even they don't know how, how he made it. It's just, just fascinating. All who dwelt in Amman were filled with wonder and delight at the work of Feanor, and Varda hallowed the Silmarils, so that thereafter no mortal flesh, nor hands unclean, nor anything of evil will might touch them. But it was scorched and withered, and Mandos foretold that the fates of Arda, earth, sea, and air lay locked within them. The heart of Feanor was fast bound to these things that he himself had made. Then Melkor lusted for the Silmarils, and the very memory of their radiance was a gnawing fire in his heart. From that time forth, inflamed by his desire, he sought ever more eagerly how he should destroy Feanor and end the friendship of the Valar and the Elves. But he disassembled, uh, or uh, yeah, dissembled his purposes with cunning, and nothing of his malice could yet be seen in the semblance that he wore. Long was he at work, and slow at first, and barren, barren was his labor. But he that sows lies in the end shall not lack of a harvest, and soon he may rest from toil indeed, while others reap and sow in his stead. Ever Melkor found some ears that would heed him, and some tongues that would enlarge what they had heard, and his lies passed from friend to friend as secrets of which the knowledge proves the teller wise. Bitterly did the Noldor atone for the folly of their open ears in the days that followed after. Oh man, that's oh, some man. beautiful writing there. That is some amazing stuff. Oh, well, there is so much in this one paragraph. This is what I like about the Silmarils. Like, you can read a page and, like, nothing really is happening. And then you <laughs> read, like, like a paragraph. And Wait, did I almost miss something? Like, yeah. Oh, like, please wait, then wait, the what? titles of the chapters are, like, <laughs> some of the... If each of the these quintas are, like, very indicative of what you're going to read. Like, then... But really, oh my goodness. So let's figure it from the top. Uh, so Fëanor makes these Silmarils and everyone, including the Valar, are amazed at this, at, at his creation. Um, Varda hallowed the Silmarils. Um, this is the second or third time that we are seeing Varda hallowing something. Um, hallowing, as we discussed earlier, means making holy. Um, so not everyone can hold or even touch the Silmaril without being scourged if they are unclean or have an evil will, evil intention. Uh, also, who else can't touch them? Well, it's the men. Um, by men with like a capital M. Uh, the mortals 
they can't touch the Silmarils either. Um, but here is something um, that might be worth just going a little deep in in Tolkien's own uh, beliefs, maybe. So why is that? Uh, why do you think um, mortals can't touch them either? Like men can be good men if if the are they equate, equating like men with evil? What do you think? Like why can't the mortals hold them? Maybe this is just too malleable or too they couldn't they couldn't have hands unclean with with a non I guess more within with a non immortal. But does this also mean I guess the dwarves are included there too, so they cannot touch them? Yeah, uh, I I suppose so. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. Well so death was a gift that Eru himself gave to the men. Um so why can't good men touch the Silmarils? Um well, I guess here we can say that maybe on some level, um, Tolkien is implying here, really, uh, not explicitly, but kind of implicitly, just applying the original sin, maybe. Uh, Tolkien being a Catholic, um, uh, since right after mortal flesh, he goes to no hands unclean, since humanity is born in sin. Uh, in original sin uh, until they uh, believe uh, Christ so they are unclean to touch or hold the Silmarils maybe that's what what is uh, implying here um, which is interesting but it, this Silmarillion is like one of the earliest writings of Tolkien so he's writing this way, way before even the Hobbit was like thought of he's writing these in his like teens um, I think Tolkien would have maybe changed this part or come up with like a more in lore kind of explanation of this passage if he had the chance. Um, it doesn't entirely make sense to me to uh, imply original sin here because, well, there is no Adam and Eve either, so there can't be any original sin. So uh, good men or good dwarves or whatever should be able to touch the Silmarils. Uh, without withering dying or something um, but at least it doesn't make sense to me I'm sure much more uh, impressive and amazing scholars than me uh, would have a better explanation uh, to this I think this is one of the things that maybe we'll ask the Tolkien professor next time he uh, comes to visit us on Brandywine uh, so I might make like a note to ask him um, he always have a good good explanation to all uh, the questions that we have. Um, so that was one thing that I wanted to kind of um, discuss. It was interesting to see. I applied that mortals can't touch them either. Uh, or any thing unclean. So another thing we have here. Uh, well, we have a prophecy from Mandos. Um, what do, do you remember the, uh, the thing... What was the deal with the prophecies of uh, Mandos? Because Mandos knows everything, but he would only speak or, when Manve asked him, right? I believe so. Yeah. Um... Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So like he he knows all the things that are going to happen or most of it but he doesn't just tell people like oh, this is going to happen to you this is going to happen to you he only if at the bidding of manvedas he uh, say his doom uh, say his prophecy or say what is going to happen um he might be the only or one of those few times where he speaks his doom without manve asking him right so that was a interesting as well it might be a really important moment that mandos is um well say speaking his doom um giving a prophecy without being asked by manwe uh what is the prophecy uh well that the fates of arda earth sea and air lay locked within them that's that that is a lot of pressure on the poor silmarils huh <laughs> That is a lot of pressure on the Silmarils. Uh, so what does it mean? Um, the fates of Arda, Earth, Sea and Air lay locked within them. Well, I won't spoil what it means, but we'll find out what that means as the story uh, continues. But uh, we can tell that these Silmarils are very important. Even though Fëanor made them, I believe Eru Iluvatar willed it. it they might be part of his plan um also another thing uh so Feanor is the one who made these silmarils but we can see that his heart is fast bound to these these things um this is not like aule making the dwarves remember aule made the dwarves mm -hmm. and but at the end when eru called him out on it he was humble and was even willing to destroy them uh, that is not the case with our uh, friend Fëanor. He's not Aule. Because Aule making the doors and then just handing their fate to Iluvatar in humility. We remember from um, those past sessions that Fëanor is proud and he's jealous. Those are the characteristics that we learned about him in the last chapter. He didn't even like his stepmother for she got sheer in love of his father for him from him um so he created these silmarils and he does not want anyone to even look at them or hold them or want them or need them it's like a really jealous kind of love or affection or, or desire or something that he has with this uh, creation of his um which is yeah it, it's um one of the many character flaws of um, Feanor, who is the best of the best smiths, but as a as a elf, as a as a good uh, person, he's not. He has jealousy inside him, and jealousy pretty much ruins everything. Uh, so let's return to Melkor. He has been granted freedom to roam around. Everyone pretty much believes that he is cured of all evil and would be a good boy for the rest of years. Uh, but he is still plotting his vengeance. And when he sees Feanor, Feanor's Silmarils, he loses it. He really wants those awesome gems for himself so he continues to act on his plan uh, starting rumors falsehoods and trying his best to sow discord between the elves and the Valar um, the Vanyar as you know don't pay much attention to him right um, 
they are the closest to Manve and uh, Varda and they are re really happy living at their uh, bottom of their hill um, near the side of the two trees. Um, to Larry, he never really he never really went to the Teleri because he didn't think uh, much of them or didn't think they were um, any thing important to his plan uh, with, in his revenge plot. It's in Noldor that he find he found his best bet basically. Um, Noldor had all the characteristics that he was looking for to sow the seeds of discord and um, well uh, some beautiful lines here um, but he that sows lies in the end shall not lack of a harvest and soon he may rest from toil indeed while others reap and sow in his stead it is such a beautiful way of writing. Yeah, you once you just start this little uh, rumor about something, and then if you just find the ears that will hear it, and then tongues that will just uh, make it even um, worse than it sounds, make it bigger and bad, and spread the rumors, and 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 well, you just don't have to do anything else. The, the, you just kindle that fire and it just lights the whole forest. And that is what happened. The Noldor were... Um, uh, fault. It was their fault that they um, heeded the words and lies of um, this pure evil Melkor. And well, in the end, they paid the price. Okay, you take the next one. Okay, Mitch is having some connection issues. I'm gonna take this next slide as well. How about that? So, uh, when he saw that many leaned towards him, Melkor would often walk among them, and amid his fair words others were woven, so subtly that many who heard them believed in recollection that they arose from their own thought, visions he would conjure in their hearts of the mighty realms that they could have ruled at their own will, in power and in freedom, in the east. And then whispers went aboard, went abroad that the Valar had brought the Eldar to Amman because of their jealousy, fearing that the beauty of the Quendi and the Maker's power that Iluvatar had bequeathed to them would grow too great for the Valar to govern. As the elves, as the elves waxed and spread from the wide lands of the world, Wow, okay, so so Melkor comes up with the best plan. He tells the elves that the Valar brought them to Valinor because they did not want the elves to be free and make their own realms in the wide world of Middle-earth. Um, that they were prisoners and slowly the rumors spread and he just sows the seeds and the Noldor make it grow into a giant tree. Um, with branches and leaves everywhere 
which is weird since the Valar brought them to Amman because of the threat of the Melkor and his allies. It was not because they wanted to imprison them or uh, were afraid of their might and, and splendor of spreading in Middle-earth. But now you see that they are letting themselves being manipulated by this pure evil and he even is able to make them believe that the Valar are afraid of the elves potential to become even greater than the Valar. The Valar are the ones who helped create the world, create Middle-earth and Valinor. So it was so weird. But that... This is the Noldor, it's all they're doing. They are, they let themselves being manipulated by Melkor. They did not see through his evil plans and how he would conjure visions in their hearts of the mighty realms. Uh, he's, uh, he still has powers. Uh, he has not lost all his powers. Uh, he has the power to manipulate and, and, and show visions to the, these elves. Um, another really cool kind of uh, thing he does, well cool, quote-unquote cool, um, nothing cool about him. But Melkor would often walk among them and amid his fair words, others were, others were woven. So he was just talking about other things and then he would just throw in the rumors so subtly that uh, many who heard them kind of just, in, well, in the end, they would believe, well, I came up with it. It was my theory. I heard it myself. Uh, so hearsay is what he did. You heard it from him. He heard it from her. She heard it from someone else. And, and everybody just makes up lies to make justification of uh, what they were saying. In those days, moreover, though the Valar knew indeed of the coming of men that were to be, the elves as yet knew not of it, for Manve had not revealed it to them. But Melkor spoke to them in secret of mortal men, seeing how the silence of the Valar might be twisted to evil. Little he knew yet concerning men who engrossed with his own thought in the music he had paid small heed to the third theme of Iluvatar, but now the whisper went among the elves that Manve held them captive, so that men might come and supplant them in the kingdoms of Middle-earth. For the Valar saw that they might more easily sway this short-lived and weaker race defrauding the elves of the inheritance of Iluvatar. Small truth was there in this. And little have the Valar ever prevailed to sway the wills of men, but many of the Noldor believed, or half believed, the evil words. Wow. So, I remember the Valar were part of the music of the Ainur at the beginning. Uh, the vision that the Iluvatar showed them, it included the second children of Iluvatar, uh, as well. But the Valar obviously did not tell everything they knew to the elves. Uh, they did not feel the need to do that. There was no ill intention behind it. Um, so Melkor once again 
takes this fact and twists it and, and he twists it to his own use uh, for his vengeance to continue to cause uh, tensions between the elves and the Valar. Melkor, the relation between or, or Melkor and the men, at least at the moment, he Melkor was part of the music of the Ainur as well. So everything that kind of Manve knows, Melkor knows as well. Um, but he did not pay too much attention to the third team of Iluvatar, which included the men, uh, the mortal men. Because um, I guess them being mortal and death being their gift uh, did not really interest Melkor because he was playing the long game. He was like, well, they'll die in, in 80 years, 100 years, whatever. So they don't matter at all. Um, he will regret it because there will be mighty men who will fight him um, in the coming battles. Um, spoiler alert. Uh, but he did not pay any attention to men, did not care of them. He just saw this opportunity to uh, of the Valar not telling the elves about men, the second children of Iluvatar, and using this to his advantage to continue sowing the seeds of discord between the Valar and the elves um, to, um, to continue to manipulate these Noldoran elves who would still keep listening to him and some really believed and others half believed all, all that he was saying all his lies that he was spewing um that 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 is what happened elves that manve held them captive so like if you think of it just at face value if you just read this paragraph and do not know anything about the story that is gonna be happening later you can kind of see what he means well uh i don't know let me say it like this if you did not know all the history up till this point about the valar you maybe what you knew you're not really sure because you never really saw and then someone told you that you are brought to this realm uh, to live with the gods because they have like a secret plan to take over uh, the the whole of Middle Earth. And then you would kind of believe it because okay, so the men are mortal, they live short, and the Valar see that okay, elves will be harder to control because they're immortal. Uh, so we'll uh, bring the elves here and then we'll be able to supplant and, and, and destroy the race of men when it comes in Middle Earth and then we'll be the, we'll be the lords of Middle Earth. Um, you would kind of believe it if you were still not really 100% sure about the uh, goodness, nobility, pureness of the powers of Arda, of the Valar, of Manwe. Um, so I guess Noldor really had the doubt from the start about leaving Middle-earth and it kind of um, 
manifests itself in this that okay they're easy to sway against the Valar by this evil Melkor so that yeah Nolder yeah yeah that 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 is all I'll say about this without like going uh, without like foreshadowing uh, the next uh, paragraphs uh, which uh, will be uh, next week I believe yes uh, one more let's do one more one more slide high princes were Fëanor and Fingolfin the elder sons of Fenway honored honored by all in Amman but now they grew proud and jealous each of his rights and his possessions then Melkor set new lies abroad in Eldamar, and whispers came to Fëanor that Fingolfin and his sons were plotting to usurp the leadership of Fenway and of the elder line of Fëanor, and to supplant them by the leave of the Valar, for the Valar were ill-pleased that the Silmarils lay in Tyrion and were not committed to their keeping. But to Fingolfin and Finarfin it was said, Beware! Small love has the proud son of Miriel ever had for the children of Indus. Now he has become great, and he has his father in his hand. It will not be long before he drives you forth from Tuna. Wow. Um, Fëanor and Fingolfin. These are the uh, two sons of Finway. Finway, as you know, was married to Fëanor's mother, Muriel. She died after giving birth to Fëanor. Um, then she married Indus, um, and Fingolfin is Indus's son. Um, so now that these two elves, these two uh, elflings, have grown up to become great, mighty elf lords and princes, um, Melkor yet again comes up with another, with another lie to spread more tensions between Fëanor and Fingolfin. Um, Fingolf, Fëanor really never had that much of love for his stepmother, so I guess it kind of makes sense that he doesn't really care much about his stepbrother either. Um, so he whispers that Melkor started by the uh, to the Noldor, it eventually comes to Fëanor uh, that Fingolfin and his sons are plotting to usurp the leadership of Fenway and take, um, well, become the lords of the Noldors and they want to supplant them uh, and they're allowed to do this by the Valar and because the Valar are not really happy that the Silmarils are still kept with Fëanor and are not committed to the keeping of the Valar. Again, if you don't know any of these people or have not read about them, and don't really know them that much, then you kind of believe it that surely the gods would be pissed that this awesome thing that is created the Silmarils are not given as a bounty to the gods, to the to the powers of the world, to the Valar. 
by this children of Luvatar who created this. He was born yesterday and now he made these and is not even like has no humility to offer these to the king of uh, Arda to Manwe. Um, so this is what he does to Feanor. What he does to Fingolfin and Finarfin is that, well, which is kind of true, but not to this extent. So Feanor has no love, had not much love for his stepmother. So, and he didn't care too much about Fingolfin and Finarfin either. Um, so, I guess it kind of makes sense when he's, when Finarfin and Fingolfin hear that Bevere's small love has the proud son of Imeriel ever had for the children of Indus. Now he has become great and he has created Silmaril, Silmarils and he has a father in his hand obviously because uh, Finve really really loves uh, Feanor because he was the last thing that his first wife gave him. Um, it will not be long before he drives you forth from Duna. So he's telling these uh, stepchildren of Finwe, um or a stepbrother of uh, Feanor uh, to Fingolfin and Finarfin that, uh, well, you'll be thrown out of Tuna soon. You, he will throw you out because he has uh, he's become really great and he has his father in his hand and he does not like you. So he's going to throw you out. I'm back. Welcome back. We're talking about Fianor and Fingolfin, the the step brothers. Yeah. Again, like Melkor is continuing to sow his lies uh, between, um, well, between the Noldor and especially, particularly between uh, Fianor and Fingolfin. Um, so that was interesting. You wanna take it the slide number ten? Okay. okay. And when Melkor saw that these lies were smoldering and that pride and anger were awake among the Noldor, he spoke to them concerning weapons. And in that time, the Noldor began the smithing of swords and axes and spears. Shields also they made, displaying the tokens of many houses and kindreds that vied one with another, and these only they wore abroad, and of other weapons they did not speak, for each believed that he alone had received the warning. And Feanor made a secret forge, of which not even Melkor was aware, and there he tempered fell swords for himself and for his sons, and made tall helms with plumes of red. Bitterly did Matan rue the day when he taught to the husband of Nerdanel all the lore of metalwork that he had learned of Aule. Oof. Yeah, the Fëanor guy. Seriously. So uh, Melkor finally uh, tells all these lies, rumors spread, and finally the results are showing. He sees that, okay, now the uh, elves are going against one another. They are angry and they are proud and they want to um, make sure that they're ready if the other party attacks or something. Um, he finally tells them, okay, well, you better be prepared when, when the other 
party comes in, like when Feanor comes to kick you out, Fingolfin, you better be ready. And to Feanor, he tells, well, uh, Fingolfin and uh, Finarfin are planning to uh, throw away Finway. So they become the lords of uh, the Noldor. And so they start making weapons. And um, Martan, as you know, uh, was uh, the uh, father-in-law of um, uh, Feanor. Uh, which we kind of like said maybe he married Nerdanel only because he wanted to learn from Matan, uh, who had learned his metal metalwork from Aule. Um, so Feanor is a master metalsmith, obviously, uh, and and it's, he, he's the best there is. So he made these swords with for himself and his son. And these helmets, and he he was uh, getting ready to for uh, for a battle for a uh, uh, to for a fight with with his cousin with his uh, step brothers. He was like, yeah, bring it. If you wanna like throw uh, my father or kill my father, then I'll be ready. But this he was throwing them on the other side too, as well. So they were oh, yeah. doing that as well. I guess they've. I, I'm. I'm sure not to this level. I'm sure Fingolfin was not doing this. Fingolfin, even though he was telling lies, uh, uh, he was being lied to as well by Melkor. Uh, Fingolfin would not be doing this. I don't think so. Uh, he's a much different um, person than Fianora. Um, Fingolfin, I think, is the father of Galadriel, if I'm not wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thus with lies and evil whisperings, and false counsel, Melkor kindled the hearts of the Noldor to strife, and of their quarrels came at length the end of the high days of Valinor, and the evening of its ancient glory. For Feanor now began openly to speak words of rebellion against the Valar, crying aloud that he would depart from Valinor back to the world without and would deliver the Noldor from Thraldom if they would follow him. Damn. <laughs> really? They were in Thraldom? It's kind of like, but really? Like... So he basically, Melkor told that um, I think that was a part of the slide you missed. Uh, so Melko tells the uh, elves that, well, you remember the uh, the Valar have not told you. They are going to be like the second children of Iluvatar as well. The men, the men are coming. The men are coming. And they are mortal. So the Valar basically brought you here so they could control you. Because when the men come, it will be easier to kill the mortals because they are mortals, so they'll die <laughs> shortly anyways. So the, the Valar basically want to take over the Middle-earth for themselves. So that is why they brought you here and they're like taking, keeping you prisoners here. <laughs> and the Noldor okay. obviously uh, believed them. <laughs> so uh, th that's what he did. So th that those are the last. So and... Fanor, well, I kind of believes it well, and um, then he also tells the um, uh, Fanor that uh, well, the uh, Valar are not really happy with you at all because uh, they, being the gods of and everything, would have expected you to present the Silmarils as a bounty to them or something. So they're not happy that you're still keeping the Silmarils. 
that you've made. So the Valar basically want your Silmarils. And Fëanor, Fëanor, as you know, has a really, really close relationship um, with their, uh, with his uh, creation, and is finally going to open. Uh, well, he's open rebellion. A rebellion is uh, starting in Valinor, um, and this is the first sign that okay, so uh, Noldor, or at least Fëanor. Uh, wants to go back to Middle Earth. They are like, yeah, enough of this Valinor stuff. Um, we're done. We will not be pris prisoners here. This, this capture that you have captured us here. We, we want to be free again. We want to go back to Middle Earth. And this concludes part one of the Silmaril and the uh, Noldor. Wait, what was that? Was unrest of the Noldor. Of the Silmarils and the Unrest of Noldor. Uh, part 2 will be next week sometime on my day off. Um, till then, well, watch the other parts. If you have not caught up to it, we are pretty much doing the whole book. So, like pretty much everywhere, it, there's very little that we have skipped. It is like a really full audiobook discussion. Uh, so watch the others in the playlist. Uh, it will be somewhere on the left or the right. Um, and if you don't, if you can't watch it on YouTube, uh, then obviously you can uh, watch it or listen to it on your podcast services, uh, iTunes, Android, Google. I don't know. Ask Alexa. Ask Alexa. Alexa, can you play Estelle Pod? <laughs> I don't even know Alexa. Mihamichi, do you have an Alexa? Um, Michi got disconnected again. Well, anyways, guys, thanks for uh, watching live if you watched us live. Thanks for watching uh, on YouTube if you're watching on YouTube. Thanks for listening to us on a podcast. Um, I will see you guys soon. Um, if you do want to leave us feedback or if you want to join us live on discord well maybe let me know in the comments and we can I'm sure we can arrange something uh, we have a little discord uh, which is obviously the casual raiders discord but we have a section uh, dedicated to um, this uh, Silmarillion podcast um, this is first of many other books of Tolkien that I want to do as well uh, so until next time take care and I'll catch you guys soon <laughs>